Caribbean Birth Stories has been brought to you by the Amai Birth Collection. Head over to theamishop.com, that's the A-M-A-I-Shop.com, for special offers and to learn more about the Amai family. Hi guys, and I'm intentionally saying guys because yes, this season we are going to be featuring some of our Caribbean men. I cannot wait to share their perspectives on this journey to parenthood. Especially since when one thinks about a birth story, typically it's expected to be through the lens of a mother. This season also touches on some matters many consider off-limits. Infertility, miscarriages, and women who chose for a myriad of reasons not to have children. Yeah, it's a mixed bag this season in hopes that at least one story resonates with you, my listener. I cannot begin this season without acknowledging all the love and support that I have received from you, my first-time listener, to my never-miss-an-episode listener. Thank you. You have bolstered my belief that we are stronger together, and I'm further committed to maintaining a space for honest, non-judgmental conversation amongst our community. Welcome to Season 2 of Caribbean Boot Stories. Do enjoy. Kimberly married her high school sweetheart just short of 12 years ago and is now the proud mother of three boisterously amazing little people. She is a lawyer practicing commercial litigation in the BVI, British Virgin Islands, and is the current president of the BVI Bar Association, and in that capacity also serves as an ex officio member of the Virgin Islands General Legal Council. Kim absolutely loves reading, of the romance variety, as it requires very little mental application, contrary to her day-to-day work. She also loved traveling pre-COVID and cannot get enough of spending time with her Adams peoples in the way of her three blessings and amazing hubby. Let's listen. Thank you for joining us here on Caribbean Boot Stories. Uh, we're looking forward to this episode, especially since you're my first BVI lander to have on. So welcome. <laughs> so, okay. Tell me a little bit about your journey to motherhood. What did it look like? Well, it's funny because I, like my husband has been like my partner for, for a number of years. But then, you know, I went off to university and he was wanting to start a family just as I had sort of dipped into my professional career and was in training. And Mm -hmm. I thought, "Uh, no, babes, now is not a good time. And I remember having really great support around me and like my sister-in-law and my sister, they would say, you know, no time is ever the right time if you think about it, because there's always going to be something going on. And if yeah. your husband wants to start or to try, I think now is probably as good a time as any because you are presupposing that you're not going to have any difficulties. You know, yes. this thing doesn't normally happen as soon as you start. It's not like a mango you can go pick off a tree. You, know, right. you have to get it right. You know, there's only a yes. small window. Mm-hmm. And so we decided, I decided, you know, I would sort of have one foot in, one foot out um, where I said, you know what? I Okay, we can start trying. And okay. secretly in my mind, I said, I don't, I don't, I hope it doesn't happen too soon. Right. But equally, every time 
it didn't happen. Like every month that I knew it didn't happen, I was really disappointed. Yes. And then once we did it, the support that I got from even my work, because I, mm-hmm. I became pregnant the first time before I had finished my training and they were just so supportive and so excited. And, and so that was really great. And mm-hmm. so that was the first time. And, mm-hmm. and then after that, it was sort of really easy because I had done it once. And so I knew I did it that once. I was training then. Yes, the next time I'm probably more into my career, but I think it's fine. And so right. I think I had an easier time deciding the second time around and then the third time. You right. Know, so you have work. three. I have so three. Tell me, yeah, tell me the ages. So my eldest is a boy and he's nine. Mm-hmm. And the second is also a boy and he is six. And, you know, honestly, after him, uh, my husband and I had said we didn't want any more. We were fine right. with just those two. And I remember saying to my doctor, um, he said, do you want any more? And I said, I don't think so. And he's like, OK, well, if you say you don't think so, that's not a definitive. Right. So we're going to just leave it alone. <laughs> um, and then, you know, a few years after him, I thought, honey, I think one more time. Right. <laughs> and my husband thought, So we did have another one, um, and that happened to be a girl, and she is two. Oh. So nine, yeah. six, and two. So how does it compare having two boys at first and then a girl? Because we know boy moms, you know, we need a prize. So, yeah. <laughs> and I pride myself as being, like, a complete boy mom. I, in fact, I was so, I'm a girly girl. Mm-hmm. And so everyone was like, my in my fam, my family, they were disappointed that I didn't have a girl. Like at any, like the first two, I didn't have a girl. Right. I didn't want any more. They were like, "But who's you know? You don't have hair to comb and dresses to buy. You're so girly." And I thought, you know, boys are so special to me. Like I absolutely mm-hmm. love boys. My husband thought I was obsessed. You know, um, when I was having the first one, we didn't know the sex. I didn't. Right. I didn't want to know. My husband did because he's a control freak. So he knew he was the only person that knew. Okay. Um, but he was really great about it. So we, I never found out. Okay. Um, and even at appointments? No. I was no. wondering about that. How does that work? Like when so, they're doing the scans and everything? Yeah. So the way they did it, they would always stay above, I guess. I don't know what I'm looking for. Um, right. And they would never sort of go in that region when I was looking. And okay. So, um, when they did, when I wasn't looking... They would, you know, ask him to look away or turn the screen away from me so that he could okay. see. Her. I had my suspicions because I thought, if there's something to see, it must be a boy. So I right. always felt like it was a boy. Yeah, he thought I was being obsessed, and you know, you know, you're going to give yourself a complex because if it's not a boy, you're going to be disappointed. Foolishness. Right. <laughs> Luckily, I didn't have to test that theory because it, it was a boy. Right. Um. So that was that was great. The second time we both found out. Mm-hmm. Um, again. It was, we sort of did it as a surprise because I guess we are modern age parents. So we yes. had the technician write it on a paper. We sent it to a cake maker. They put it in the cake. Oh, so you had a full um, gender reveal. We, we just did it privately. Um, okay. Just us and, and my eldest son, he cut the cake. And so we knew that. Oh. And nice. then the third time, again, we did a gender reveal. And, and yeah. the only people that knew were my husband and my, my friend, Omnike. They yeah. planned everything. Um, 
and it was a girl and you know obviously I was super excited but I thought you know yeah. whether it was a boy girl dog goat no more <laughs> yeah you know I was I was sure that's it. That, that, mm-hmm. that would be it um but it's nice having having a bo- a girl but she's she's just as much a a little roughneck, as we say in the Caribbean. Yeah. As yes. the boys yes. are. So it doesn't feel very different having her. Okay. She just rumbles and tumbles with the boys. Which right. is cool because I didn't want a very sort of genteel <laughs> girl. I wanted I wanted a girl that I could dress up. So I'm happy that, you know, she's she accommodates her mother, at least for now. Right. But she's, you know, not so sensitive and gentle that I have to keep, you know, looking after. After her, right. Yeah. Okay. So being from the BVI, tell me a little, and I'm saying BVI, assuming everybody knows British Virgin Islands, um, and there are many islands. How many islands are there in BVI? Do you, are you aware of the exact number? Uh, the, Sorry, the, okay. What, what they teach us in school mm-hmm. is that there are 60 uh, islands, islets, keys, and rocks. That's what I know. Okay. All right. <laughs> so let's, let's say that. That's, Okay, and and you're on Beef Island. No, I'm on Tortola, which is the main Tortola. island, the, the, the largest island. island. Yes. Okay. All right. So, what are some of the typical BV Islander things that may have been told to you as an expectant mother? Because I mean, I've been finding a lot of these sayings are uh, common across the region, but I've not had anyone from the BVI. So maybe there's something that someone has said to you, or is common to the BVI that we haven't heard before. I don't know. Like the, the funny, funnily enough, I think because I come from a family that procreates, you know, like I'm, I'm the third um, okay. of my mother and father's children, and so the third to have children. My, you know, sister she has four. My brother has four. And so by oh, the wow. time I came along, I was, you know, yeah. having their sharing their experiences and knowing what would be funny. Um, random people would say things like, you know, be careful, don't, you know, not to cross my legs. I couldn't cross my legs. Don't right. cross your legs because if you cross your legs, they say that the cord is going to wrap around the child's neck and all sorts of foolishness. So that yeah. was one. Another thing they would say, don't scratch your tummy if you, mm-hmm. you're being something because wherever you scratch, you're going to mark the child. Yes, it'll be the birthmark. Yes, foolishness. I think for me, I wanted to exclusively breastfeed um right. i was told that that was gonna be possible mm-hmm. as you work are you right. planning to go back to work yes i'm planning to go back to work you can't well then you can do you have to put a child on formula and uh <laughs> you, you know you have to get in your mind that you have to put child on formula because you're not gonna be able to do this yes. um and you know you're not feeding the child enough and the child can be sick and you know you have to give them the cereal and, 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 yes. and, and oh god oh yes the custard and um, um, you have to give them water because, you know, you, you have to give them water. You can't just give them. When I, when I did have my first child, um, I was told, you have to give him water. What, what do you mean you're only giving him breast milk? You have to give him water. You're, you know, you're going to mess with his skin and you're going to do all these things. Yes. Um, but it's funny, the unsolicited advice that I just found it really hilarious. Um, and um, I remember. I think that's the best way to, keep, to take it. You have to, you know. you have to, you know, they mean well. Um, and, um, another thing is people, for some reason, tend to think that when you become pregnant, your body is, is separate from your, your, your belly. So the rest of your autonomy is different to your belly. So they could just touch your belly 
because it's, yeah. it's a thing. You know, you could just yeah. touch my belly. You mm-hmm. wouldn't touch it if I weren't pregnant because it's right. a gross invasion of my privacy. But when I'm pregnant, it's okay. You feel that you can, you know, and I, I remember distinctly, I was, uh, my very friend Omnike, her and I were at drinks and mm-hmm. we went outside to chat and a lady came and the way she looked at me, I thought that I knew her, but I couldn't replace her. <laughs> right. She, was just, she just kind of stood there and was looking at me. And then she came and she's like, oh, <laughs> she, <laughs> I was so traumatized. Yes. Okay. Hi. Take my belly. Yeah. Omnike said, uh, do you know her? I, was like, I have never seen her in my life. Oh. Gosh. You know, and so that was the thing. Um, yeah. So I think that was something as an expectant mother um, that I had to sort of grapple with and try to find creative ways of letting people know it's not okay to, to just touch, touch my belly. Yeah. <laughs> Without asking, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but, um, so, so tell me about the modes of delivery for each of them. Right. So each of them, and I have to say, I have struggled with this for, for a long time. And I think my husband is so sweet. He tries to tell me, you're not less of a woman because you didn't give birth vaginally. I haven't had a vaginal birth with any of them. Right. So the first one was, um, he was post-due. I think he okay. just decided he wasn't coming. Right. And I was at the point where I just needed him to come. And so yeah. you know, my, my obstetrician said to me, you know, if he doesn't come by X date, we're going to induce Right. And I was like, okay, I'm not thrilled about that, but at least I will still get my, my, you know, vaginal, vaginal birth. Yeah. Because of course I had it planned and you know, what you have planned is the gospel. Yes. It's what's going to happen. Yes. And so I went in and I was induced and I labored for my first for, I remember I being induced just before eight o'clock. I don't mm-hmm. remember the day of the week, but it was just before eight o'clock. I was so excited mm-hmm. and the baby was taken from me in an emergency section oh. after eight at night. So I was laboring for over 12 hours mm-hmm. and had yeah. absolutely no progress. So I was getting the pains, mm-hmm. but progressed zero, nothing, yeah. nothing, no dilation, absolutely none. Um, he was not ready. And he was just not ready. And it was just a really complicated time because every time they checked, which was an awful experience, I hated it. Yeah. Um, every time they checked, there was nothing. And my doctor didn't intend to take the baby that day if mm-hmm. my vitals and the baby's vitals remained stable. Right. But then the baby started showing signs of distress. Um, mm-hmm. By which point, I think at that point, in the moment, I thought, I don't care whether you get him out of my air, just get it out of me. It just yes. needs to come out. I was exhausted. Yes. And yes. it's such a pain. So I, I had that emergency cesarean section. Mm-hmm. That was disappointing for me. Um, mm-hmm. But again, my sister, my eldest, she also had difficulty with vaginal delivery. So she, all of hers were also cesarean section. My okay. mother never had a cesarean, so she didn't know how to yeah. guide me through like the recovery. Yeah. But I think having my sister had them, she was right there, you know, once, once it happened to say, this is what you need to do. Once the baby comes, you're not going to be able to get up for a few hours, but you need to get up. Right. Um, because, you know, lying there is just going to make your recovery all the, the harder. Yes. And so I think having, you know, her there to, to guide me was great. So I recovered really quickly um, with my first, with all of them, um, because you just sort of push through the pain initially and then your recovery is just so quick. 
So yes. that was the first one. The second one, I wanted a VBAC. Again, I had it planned, so it was going to happen. Yes. Yes. Um, the doctors. And for those listening, that's vaginal delivery um, post after cesarean. After cesarean, sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So I wanted that. And my doctor said to me, so my first was about eight pounds, five ounces. Right. Oh, big because baby. he was a, yeah, because he was a weak post, I thought, you know, that's why. My second mm-hmm. was showing as also trending to be a big baby. Mm-hmm. And so my doctor said to me, if the baby stays under eight pounds and I go into natural labor, he will let me before a certain date, he will let me right. mm-hmm. you know, attempt a vaginal delivery. That little boy did not come early. Um, so but by the day that my doctor gave me, which was about a week and a half early. Mm-hmm. So he took him and he was eight pounds. So had I gone, wow. he was eight pounds. Um, and then with the third one, the doctors had said to me, you have a trend of having larger, you know, big babies. Yeah. And having had two cesareans, although we can allow you to try based on your history, I don't think it's wise, you know. So we're not going to try for, um, and they thought that this baby was going to be big because I think with my daughter, my stomach was probably the largest that mm. I had throughout the pregnancies. So they said, they, they, you know, they weren't going to allow it. And I, I remember having the cesarean and, and the doctor, once he took her out, sort of held her up so that I could see. Right. And I remember, I will never forget the words, but I was like, that's it? Like, because she was so small. She was small. She was pounds, one ounce. Oh, wow. It was so, so, I was like, what did I have inside me? Is there another? <laughs> because although they're all very small when, you know, as newborns, I could see the difference between that two pounds um, yeah. between her and my son. Like, she was so tiny. I yes. didn't even have newborn clothes for her because I, had newborn for my first and they didn't fit and right. so I, I stopped doing that. Bother to buy. yes yeah. but okay. um, so that was yeah and would you say that the recovery each time got a little bit easier I I think it's funny I think what is true is that every pregnancy is different right mm-hmm. I think my recovery with my last child was the hardest okay Believe tell me that. about that yeah. I don't know if it has to do with where we live now. Okay. So when I had my first um, and the second, um, we lived in an apartment. Mm-hmm. So my second, we were just con- finishing the construction on where we currently live. Right. And so it was just an apartment on one level. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't have to do stairs or anything we moved into this house when my second was about four or five weeks. Okay. So by which time I was close to fully recovered. Yes. Yeah. With my third, we are in a house where my master bedroom is upstairs mm. and everything else is downstairs. And my husband thought, you know, let's sleep in the guest bedroom downstairs. But of course I can't sleep in the guest bedroom downstairs because I have the bedroom upstairs set up for the baby. So All right. Go upstairs, honey. And I think, you know, I was told that I could probably do it once a day, go upstairs once a day and come down once a day, but don't, you know, don't overexert. And I thought, Mm -hmm. yes, it's a few stairs, but it can't be that bad. Right. 
Yeah. It's amazing how fragile the body is. So I went upstairs the day that we got home from the hospital. I went upstairs that night. I came down the next morning and I went up that night, the next night. And going up that night was extremely hard. Like my husband had to almost lift me up. I couldn't. Wow. It, it was so painful. And then once I got up there after that, I didn't come back down. I didn't no. come back down for I a wouldn't. long time. I was terrified. And yeah. I think that overexertion um, sort of kind of set me back, I think, mm-hmm. because I then became really pain, pained and, you know, really afraid yeah. to get out of bed. And, yeah. So I didn't, I didn't mess with that again. Um, right. It took a week after that to, to attempt coming back, coming back downstairs. <laughs> and do I was think- out. I know, but do you think age had anything to do with it as I well? Whether, I wonder, I wonder. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have any difficulty during the pregnancy. Right. And, you know, I have been told or heard, my mother said to me, I remember saying that if I had um, my first baby after um, the age of 35, having never had one, it mm. might be tricky or, you know, it might cause me a bit more difficulty than if I had a baby before and then right, yeah. after 35 or 40, she's like, you know, once you, once your body has gone through it, you mm-hmm. have a baby at 50, honey. So <laughs> she, thought, she thought to me, um, it's not going to be, it's not going to be a problem. And I think she was right. I had absolutely no issues at all. I'm generally healthy ish, you know, I'm not yeah. overweight or anything. So I was fine throughout yeah. for all of them. Mm-hmm. But I think those stairs, I think I underestimated because I was told not to do it. Right. Or that it could be a strain on the body. Yes. But I think I underestimated that having a cesarean is a major surgery. They've cut through all the muscles and all the tissue. All the muscles, correct. And so I kind of underestimated how difficult it would be to do the stairs and how yeah. much pressure it would put on me. So I think that was it. I don't know that age, at least not in my not in my opinion, just because of what right. my experience was. Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Um, so tell me, so you have a full-time, you're in a full-time career, you're busy. Yes. Um, and you have these three children under the age of 10. Yeah. So what strategies have you put in place to help you manage? Because I think a lot of women listening, they some of them are new moms, but some of them have also like toddlers and maybe multiple children. So they, you know, being able to share your strategies on managing can help in case they are struggling with anything, you know? Yes. Um, honestly, the, when I had my first, I got an opportunity to work in my, cause I'm a lawyer. So I got an opportunity to work in my firm's Hong Kong office. So I had my oh. son. And my husband thought it was great because it was something that him and I had spoken about so many times before we had a, started a family. Right. Um, and then we had this baby and I thought, okay, this opportunity's come up. And I thought, I have to take the baby with me. Yes. And my husband thought, you're not taking the baby with you, honey. It's, it doesn't make any sense because you want to go there and you want to show them that your, your head is in the game. And you're yes, going to a new country, you have absolutely yes. no support, you're going to be, you know, pretty much like a single mom, because he wasn't coming with me. Right. In a new place, new language, new culture, new customs. Yes. I don't know that you want to have that burden. Mm-hmm. And him and I sort of were at a stalemate when it came to, because I thought, I am taking my child. 
And yes. he thought, I don't think you it's just have this child. Yes. Yeah. And so I, he said to me, you know, after he re- realized that I stopped talking about it and, and stuff, he said, um, take the baby if you need. If you need to take the baby to get this opportunity, take the baby. And that's when I decided, okay, I don't want to take the baby. It was almost really psychological that I, I needed to know that I could take my son yes. if I wanted to take him. Yes. yes. And I think once I knew that I could mm-hmm. or that there would be no objection, it was easy for me to say, okay, we'll leave him here. And so what we did, um, because my husband, although we come from very similar families in that, like my parents are still married, his parents are still married. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we both came from nuclear families, grew grew up with our siblings, et cetera. And and our families are all still here. And he thought, you know, I will have the support here. I'm not going to move in with my mom or anything. I'm going to raise my son um, because he belongs to me. But if I can have mm-hmm. some assistance, that would be great. So then we got a nanny um, right. to live in uh, with with him while I was away. And, you know, of, of course, you know, the Caribbean in us, my mother was not thrilled by that idea. <laughs> yes, <laughs> tell me about that. Because when you think nanny, you think, you know, yeah, you like, yeah. <laughs> behind with a child and a woman in the house and you are there to cook food. And so that was something that his mother wasn't very keen on. No, it was my mother. But I think it was something that we just decided that this is what we're going to do. This is what he needs. And I, his view is that there are children. And when our parents um, have them, it should be at not out of obligation, but they should right. be able to enjoy them. Yes. So they raised us. They shouldn't be raising ours. We can right. pay for somebody to assist us or whatever. So we got her. And even after I came back from Hong Kong for good, and, and being in Hong Kong was difficult, you know, obviously my husband was really committed. So I spoke to to them twice a day um, right. because we were at a 12 hour difference. I was, I was just going to say the time difference, everything. Yeah. yeah. So we would speak to them at 7 in the morning, which was 7 p.m. my time. And we would speak to them. I would speak to them at 7 p.m. my time, which was 7 a.m. their time. So we would speak 7 and 7 right. every day. Right. And my again, my office was fantastic. So they knew when, if I were in the office and they called, it was like, okay, Kim is on the phone with her family. You nice. know, That's really good. Sometimes. Yeah, they were, they were good about it. And I also traveled quite a bit. Like, so every three months we would meet somewhere in the States. I would do long haul to meet them either in New York. A few right. times I flew, down, I flew down to Miami to meet them. And he would okay. bring the baby. And we would spend a couple, like a week or a couple of days together just so I could see him. Oh my and gosh. It must have been so hard, Kim. It was hard. It was expensive. But I just thought it was something that we thought we needed to do. Um, mm-hmm. The nanny worked out to be so much of a help because my husband also is a professional. You know, he's not a, pro- a, a professional in the sense of a lawyer, but he has his own business, works for his family yeah. business. And yeah. so both quite busy. And so after I came back, I thought that we wanted to keep the nanny. We, we decided we were going to keep a nanny. <laughs> we are going to yeah, keep a nanny. Of course. To allow me that flexibility, you know, knowing that I don't have to rush out of the office at five o'clock to come home, you right. know, or to get children from daycare, et cetera. So we have a nanny mm-hmm. um, that still lives in with us mm-hmm. to, to assist. Um, obviously, I think it's because of the you know, or set now that that enables us to, to do that. It's quite expensive. Yeah. So quite a bit of sacrifice. Um, yeah. My daughter is now two. And after the pandemic happened, my former nanny, who was like fantastic, she came to our, 
us when my son was about three weeks. So she'd been with us for almost six years. Oh, wow. Went back home mm-hmm. on sort of really short notice. And it sort of threw us all for a loop. So my current nanny's new, learning yeah. the ropes. We're in a mm-hmm. pandemic. Yes. Um, you know, school school was different. So it was a struggle for all of us, you know, trying mm-hmm. to adjust. I yes. at times felt, and I think this is something that we commonly feel as mothers. I felt like I was failing my children, like mm-hmm. because I'm working, I'm trying to make sure that I can earn to provide yes. a certain quality of life for them. Mm-hmm. I'm not seeing them as often as I would want to. There's a new nanny that they're not really mm-hmm. familiar okay. with that yeah. I am relying on to really assist with their homework and their, you know, so it was, it was different, you know, a bit difficult. Um, and also, like my husband, I think I, I give God thanks all every day, all day, every day for him because he's also very hands-on. Right. Um. So I think you know there are days where he comes and he would like relieve the nanny so that she can get some break, a, a break, and I can yeah. work a little longer. And but I think that partnership really works. But I think mm-hmm. having that help. Um, yes. Our, our, like I said, our setup allows us to have her live in. But even if she's not living in, I think I don't think I could do it without having somebody to plug that gap, especially yeah. in circumstances where my husband is completely against me calling up my mother and saying, <laughs> come for this child. Um, he, we will do it in emergencies. He's like, we can do it for emergencies. If we're traveling and we need a little extra assistance and we want your mother to look in or my mother to look in, that's fine. But it's not right. going to be part of their, they're retired. They should be enjoying their lives, not right. watching our children. So that when the children do come over, they're thrilled. fun. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's how, that's how we do it. That's how. Okay. And that's a different perspective. I don't think I've had anyone on here who's had who has a nanny and I know people you know people have their own preconceived notions but as a stay-at-home mom myself you know I can see how I like I cannot see how I can work full-time and manage the home and my child I mean obviously women do it around the world all the time and our mothers our parents did it um however it is it is a challenge and I think the, the 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 demands on us right now, especially with COVID and everything, it's just so much more that, yeah, if you can afford to have someone assist in some way, and like you said, it doesn't have to be a live-in, it could just be someone that comes in every day, but it definitely takes that pressure off of you so that you can perform well at work. And then when you come home, you can be fully present because you're not thinking about, oh, I need to go do work and, you know, yeah. So, so it's a different perspective, definitely. Yeah, and and as a Caribbean person, I think it's something that's very. It's not very, at least in BVI, it's not something that's very common. And I would have to agree in the Caribbean. I don't think it's very common. Either. It's not very common, and I think it is almost frowned upon. Like it's like there, I get this vibe, you know. Um, <laughs> You know, I would hear people say, well, your mother did it. Your mother your mother worked and um, took care of a family. Why can't you do it? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I and I, I speak to my mother about it all the time. And I'm so grateful for her because she was so, I don't know how she did it. My mother cooked every single day for the family. We had right. meals together. It's something I struggle with. We ate together every single day. 
Oh, wow. We had yeah. dinner. To, we didn't have breakfast together. She would prepare the breakfast and we would sort of eat it quickly. The children would eat right. together. But every yeah. night we had dinner together mm. and she cooked and she had, but she had a nine to five. Um, right. And we were sort of spaced so that my eldest sister is almost 10 years my senior. So she could assist with the whole with, work. Yeah. And so when my mother mm-hmm. came home, she did the, you know, she had a system clearly yeah. that worked yeah. really well. Mm-hmm. And I said to her, mm-hmm. she had a nine to five because what I have found, I come from work. I don't have a nine to five. When no. I come from work, I try to get, spend some time with my husband. I try to spend some time with the children. And there are days where I have to stop sign back on when the children go to bed. Right. You know, and I work into the wee hours of the morning many times. Um, yeah. And so it's really great to have that person who can assist in getting up in the morning to make sure that the children are sorted because I'm yes. exhausted. Um, yes. And, you know, I, I just don't know as a professional because I, for me, I wanted, I want a really great career, mm-hmm. but I'm not an, a solely career person. I also wanted a family. I yeah. want two. And, and that's the difficulty, finding that balance. The balance. And I don't know that I have it. There are people who say, oh, you you know, you're doing it so well. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard. You know, yeah. there are times I feel like I'm neglecting my husband. There are times I feel I'm neglecting my work. There are times I feel I'm neglecting my children. But I'm trying. Yes. Um, and it's something that I am trying to make work as best as possible for us. Good. Um, so that and that's all that matters, you yeah. know. So you will, I mean, no doubt people will pass judgment. And I think that's just the nature of human beings. Um, but you have to do what's best for your family, you and your family. And I mean, we're in a time now where mental health is such a huge topic. And, you know, thinking about your own mental health, this is what helps you do what you need to do and be the best version of yourself. Then that's what you do. So what if somebody has something to say about it, you know? Yeah. And I think in the Caribbean, yeah, we need to talk about it more because there are definitely mothers who have nannies out there, whether they're living or, you know, they just come during the working hours of the day. But that's the reality. That's the reality. So, okay, I know we've kind of gone off topic, but I enjoyed that because I think it's something that is not openly discussed. So it was, it's important and I thank you for sharing that with us um in terms of your own physical health you've had three cesarean sections how do you feel like you're recovered now the last one was two years ago yes um no um so with my cesarean section so i had that separation of my stomach so you have a diastasis. I, yeah i don't have a hot girl body anymore y'all don't judge mm. me this is no. talking no. um and that is something in addition to the the the, the aesthetics of it yes mm-hmm. because of the cesarean sections i think the incision I, I there are times depending on what i lift if it's too heavy and and i'm not even let's forget about the the one that's 2 years old when i had right. my 6 year old at that stage my son he was 3 Mm-hmm. I still felt, and the and the incision, it's the same incision. So my surgeon, yeah. he just went in, you know, at the same spot. But there are times, not often now, but mm-hmm. depending on what I lift or if I do yes. something too heavy, I definitely feel it in that area. And I know, okay, pull back. And I wonder, because my sister, her youngest, like I said, she's had four, and her youngest mm-hmm. is nine and she mm-hmm. told me just last week we were talking about it. And she said that she sometimes still feels 
um, pain in that area. So I often wonder if you ever get back to your old self. I don't well, know. This is a good question. That's a fantastic question because did you experience, did you have any physical therapy after your cesareans or after you even gave birth? Did the doctors no. talk to you about any exercises that you can do to strengthen up that area? No, no, I didn't have that. I, I think what I have found, because I was just, after I had the, the third one and I had a hernia um, right. <clears throat> when I was young that I had repaired. And it seems like over over the years, it has sort of it needs repairing again. Again, yeah. yeah. And so mm-hmm. with the last pregnancy, it has become more pronounced. Um, yeah. And so that needs to be repaired. And so my my doctor has said to me, you know, maybe we could repair it and have like a tuck. A tummy tuck, yep. Yeah. But it has to be like a team. So it would have to be a plastic surgeon and, and someone to yes. do the, the repair of that. And my husband is not thrilled about it. Like he's like, you don't need a tummy tuck. I'm like, yes, I do <laughs> no you don't honey you don't need a tummy tuck great for him um but it's it's um it's it's something that I have done so much research on in terms of whether I can repair it um without cosmetic surgery right and I found this guy out of Trinidad um this uh, personal trainer and I did a program with him a few weeks months ago and it was fantastic mm-hmm. and I lost a lot of weight through dieting and exercise. And he right. had given me a lot of exercises targeting that area and with the intention that it would gradually bring the muscles back together. Mm-hmm. I didn't do a lot of those exercises, I'll be honest. Um, mm-hmm. I did a lot of his cardio stuff because I just right. saw the results and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be hot again. <laughs> so I lost all this weight, um, but then I still have this pooch. And right. I'm convinced having done so much sort of research on it that I know it's not going to be as instantaneous as if I do a tuck, but I'm convinced that I could probably get it gradually back to what it used to be. I'm not concerned about the stretch marks on my belly. They're never going anywhere, No, yeah. but I just wanted to know if I could get the muscles back together. But this information hasn't come, didn't come from the doctors. Right. Yeah. You have to go out and seek it out. And I think that is that is why we're having these conversations because diastasis is a very hot topic in physical therapy right now simply mm-hmm. because there are many schools of thought on if it can be repaired and on its own or if you need specific ex- muscle exercises to target those muscles or if you do eventually need to do um, the abdominoplasty and the tummy tuck. Um, and simply what's coming out now is that the aesthetics is the main driver of why women are reaching out to doctors and plastic surgeons, not necessarily because they're experiencing discomfort or symptoms. So you may be experiencing some low back pain if you lift something up really heavy, um, but that could also be as a result of other things. You know what I mean? So it could be just general weakness in your lower back, maybe the the diastasis makes it a little bit worse but it it's not necessarily because of that and what the studies are saying is that yeah we thought that women with diastasis would have more pelvic floor issues we thought that they would have like prolapse and that kind of thing but what they're saying is that it's not necessarily there are yeah. a lot of women that have prolapse um and they don't have a diastasis and vice versa so um 
So the, the, the whole thing now is exercise, strengthen as much as you can. Um, your diet is important, yes. I mean, but the key is to see a pelvic floor physical therapist or a therapist that specializes in women's health to basically have yourself evaluated because I could give you general advice, but I don't know specifically what's going on with you. So for instance, you have a hernia, so that makes it different to, to treat, um, or it may not, but I need to evaluate you and determine, okay, Kim has X, Y, and Z as her impairments, and this is what I'm going to do to address them specifically, you know? So, um, and I think that information is what is not available out there. And this is why I'm so glad you brought that up and was so open about that. Because especially we talk about this mommy pouch, it's a hot topic. And <laughs> some women snap back and a lot of a lot of us, because I would say I am I'm one of those as well, that we just don't snap back. So so yeah. So thank you for sharing with that. So um, just to wrap up, because I really try not to carry this too long beyond the half an hour mark, but um, I wanted you to give a mom listening now or an expectant mom listening now just a piece of advice. So maybe from if you flash back to your younger self when you first was getting ready to have your son, you know, and a piece of advice you would give yourself that you could pass on to someone that's expectant that, you know, they can help, maybe help relieve their anxiety about giving birth right now? I think for me, the piece of advice that I would give, I think, and I, and I give it in sort of a Caribbean context. Yeah. Because as a Caribbean people, we are so sort of interconnected. We always feel like we know what's best for each other. Yes. And that, that comes from, your mom knowing what's best for me, Auntie Sue down the road, everybody's going to know what's best for you and know how best you approach your journey and how best you raise your children. Yes. And I think that in itself can be a huge amount of pressure and anxiety because you're yes. always wondering, am I doing it wrong because I'm doing it this way and not that way? Yes. I think you have to determine what it is you want your journey to look like and, mm-hmm. and and the journey being from the time that you conceive throughout to when you have yeah. the children, what it is that you want for you yeah. and this yeah. child. What is it that you want to achieve? And whatever that is, it really doesn't matter what Auntie Sue says. Or you have to 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 know that this is your decision to make. Yes. They have their decisions to make. And and to embrace it and try to find like-minded people who share these to um, to help to empower you and inspire you because yeah. for me mine was I wanted to exclusively breastfeed my children yeah. six mm-hmm. months and I had so much pushback on it oh you I... work you're working you going back to work yes I'm going back to you can't do that if you're going back to work how are you going to breastfeed and, and you're going back to work yes. you know and so I had to find people in mm-hmm. communities online Mm-hmm. to assist me to know that I could do it I could do this yes so I was able to do it it wasn't easy I'm not gonna mm-hmm. say that it's easy to do these things but decide what it is you want and t- tell yourself you can do it yes. and don't allow people to discourage you 
and find yeah. people who are like you, who share your views. It doesn't have to be another Caribbean person. There are so many um, forums out there online. Oh, yeah. And I'm yeah. not a big social media person, um, mm-hmm. but there's still, you can find people who feel the way you feel that will inspire you and encourage you. That will be my yeah. advice. And I think that's great advice because we don't realize until you have the child just how many decisions we have to make, you know, <laughs> and then how, how many people have different opinions about your decisions. Including so, the names of the children. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So this is why it's so important to really take the time just before you give birth to think about some of the decisions that you're going to have to possibly make for you, your family, your child. Because if you're not strong, as you said, if you're not strong in believing, like you wanted to exclusively breastfeed, if you didn't have that commitment in advance, trust me, I'm pretty sure afterwards it would have been a challenge. You probably might've given up a little bit before because it felt so hard and overwhelming and maybe you never made that mental commitment to doing it, you know? So... So yeah, I think that's really good advice because I it hit me too. Like I was like, I didn't realize I had to decide on so much. Um, and if I didn't think about it in advance, I really would not have known. And maybe not, you know, I mean, we have to give ourselves grace. But anyway, that's a whole other conversation. That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> it's a yeah. beautiful journey. It's it very is. difficult decisions. And we just have to roll with the punches. There are going to be setbacks. There are going to be disappointments. But we can do it. So many have done it before us. Yeah. Um, and we're no less than them. Um, no, we're not. So that's what, we, that's what we tell ourselves. At least that's what I tell myself. I can do this. <laughs> So, and just to end off, I love to ask my guests to choose a song to best describe their journey, pregnancy, birth, motherhood, parenthood, the whole thing. Choose a song that comes to mind. I'm a survivor. <laughs> I'm a survivor. Yes. That is the song, honestly, that just yeah. came to my spirit. I'm a survivor. Yeah. That's good. And you are. And you are. Thank you so, so much, Kim. This was Thank great. Me. Yes, and I really hope I can have more people from the BVI, maybe some other islands. I don't know, but this is just great. Thank you so much for sharing and being so open with us. Yes, so thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> All right, bye. Bye. Caribbean Birth Stories has been brought to you by the Amai Birth Collection. Head over to theamaishop.com, that's the A-M-A-I shop.com, for special offers and to learn more about the Amai family. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. We'd be grateful if you could leave a review about what you're loving on this podcast, and be sure to tune in every Tuesday for new episodes.